Hey, I'm just so glad to worship with you today. Man, God is good. Are you enjoying the hot weather yet? I am not. I'm the guy who like sweats walking to the mailbox. That's hot weather. Praise the Lord. It's going to be cooler this week. Man, uh, school's winding down. I know our college students are gone. All of our teachers and our high schoolers. Are you excited? Are you? Parents, not so much. You know, that, uh, you know that Christmas song, and mom and dad can hardly wait for school to start again. I totally understand that. Yeah. I never understood it until I had children, and then I thought, I, I believe in that song. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Hey, uh, just a couple of things I want to mention to you uh, as we get going here this morning. Um, I guess we've been going, so as we continue going here this morning. Uh, one, uh, decided I need more opportunity uh, to see you and connect to you and just like get to know you and learn your names. I'm starting to remember some folks and that's great, but Amy and I, we don't have enough gatherings together. So in June, uh, I want to invite you to the church on, uh, I don't remember what day it is now. Hang on. Stand by. Yes, June the, the that's May, June the 12th uh, in the evening. It's a Sunday night and uh, we decided we're going to do a uh, a couple of men's and women's groups, events for ladies and guys to gather together, worship. We're going to worship. We're going to pray. We're going to have a devotional. We're going to eat. I figure if we eat, that'll be helpful. So we'll find somebody to grill or something. It'll be great. Uh, but on June the 12th, it's a Sunday evening. And also then July 17th, just a couple of gatherings this summer uh, just to get in a room together so we can get to know one another. This fall, we are going to relaunch connect groups, and we're going to have all kinds of opportunity for you to connect in a group. And be, but but that, I won't be in every group, and I need to meet some of you and get to know some. Does that make sense? So I am asking you, if you're in town, uh, if you're on vacation or whatever, I know it's vacation season or you got other things to do, or you just are tired and don't feel like coming, that's all right too. But if you're available and you can be here, man, I'd love you to come and hang out with Amy and I. Uh, we'll be together kind of in the, in the, on Main Street and then we'll break out into men's and women's groups and have a great time together on those two nights. So I just wanted to mention that to you so you can put it in your calendar and just kind of have it. Uh, have it on uh, there for you so you don't forget. Next Sunday, everybody say next Sunday. Next Sunday, next Sunday is what we call the consecration service. And so we'll have a whole bunch of guests here. Uh, and I am going to become the official pastor of the church. I'm not the official pastor. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But we do have a, uh, a, kind, of, a kind of a moment of passing the baton and praying together, uh, praying over this transition. Our superintendent, Pastor Don Gifford, will be here, uh, as well as Pastor Ted and Sue Brust and Pastor Zach and Shelley will be here. Uh, it's just going to be a great day. You don't want to miss it. Uh, so unless you're out of town or you've got some other big thing to do, I'd sure love to make sure you're in church next week. It's going to be uh, just a great day. Uh, today, we are working on our kingdom builders. You like my shirt? If you... If you want a Kingdom Builders shirt, then all you have to do today is make any commitment to Kingdom Builders over the next six months, and uh, you can get a free Kingdom Builders shirt. That's incentive for you. Our ushers are going to help us this morning. We're going to hand out these cards. Uh, these are our Kingdom Builder commitment cards. We'll save it for the end of the service. Hopefully, you have prayed and asked the Lord 
uh, and had conversations with your spouse if you're married uh, about what God might want you as a family to commit to Kingdom Builders uh, over the next six months. Again, just reminding you, we are working on uh, we are working on funding our missionary support. And by the way, if you're not on Facebook, uh, I'm, I did a video this week, and we had this week a $15,000 gift come in for Kingdom Builders. So we needed 85, now we need 70. That's math. Everybody know math? That's pretty weak right there. God shows up in a powerful way, right? Praise the Lord that he's doing that. So we need about $50,000 for our missionary support. These go to 84 missionaries around the world and here in the United States that we support every month. Uh, 21,000-ish to our youth and young adult trip. We bought all the airline tickets, I think, last week. Pastor Mark got those secured. So uh, my daughter is going. She said her passport comes on Saturday, so she's excited about that. Uh, we're getting close here to our, our Morocco team going to Morocco in June. We also would like to do, fund some next-gen scholarships. So we've got kids going to camp this summer. Uh, youth are going to camp. We've got little kids going to kids' camp. Uh, and there's still room for your kids. If you want to sign them up, please see Pastor Mark, and we'll get them signed up. But we want to help kids go to camp. We want to finish out a couple of projects in the church. Uh, those are on there as well. So look, at the end of the day, we're just trying to fund whatever God is speaking to us and saying to us. And so tonight or to the, the, after the end of the service, I'm not very articulate today. I don't, I don't know what my problem is. Uh, we're going to receive this and a love offering as well. Uh, so this is, these are commitments that we make above and beyond our tithe and our regular giving, and we're going to have these at the close of the service. You look like you have something to say. I have a question, Go. Thank you. Please write your gift on this. Yep, yep, just what, if you're already giving monthly to Kingdom Builders or to missions or whatever you're doing, uh, please go ahead and still fill this out so we get a really good idea of what we think will come in. Does that make sense? Does that help? Help? Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Praise the Lord. All right. Are you ready? All right. Now, please don't go to sleep. I know if you sleep, because I can see you. Just like if I went to sleep, you would notice right? First time I ever went on a missions trip, uh, I was uh, 23 or four years old, and I went to the nation of El Salvador in Central America. And there are still moments today that I will, uh, El Salvador is a third world country. It's, it's pretty, it's very poor. You know, we're, we went to King, anybody ever been to El Salvador? Anybody been there? All right. Went to King's Castle Ministry. We went into the streets and the highways and the byways and I danced and that's, that's funny because you don't know that that's funny, but that's funny. Uh, I'm not going to dance now. But uh, we would go and we would go put on these, these little kind of 45-minute, you know, dramas. And, and it's all in Spanish. You have no idea what you're saying or what you're singing or what you're doing unless you've taken four years of Spanish in high school. And I did not. So, I, you know, I'm up there doing these things. Uh, what struck me, a few things struck me. So the smell of El Salvador. If you've ever been to a third-world country, there's, there's nothing like the smell of a third-world country. And sometimes when you'll drive by a sanitation place or a, or, a, or a landfill, and you'll get just that little whiff that wafts into your car. Anybody ever have that happen? That's what El Salvador smells like. Everywhere you go, even in Burger King. And sometimes you go, and I, I smell those things. Now, it's been 20 years since I've been to El Salvador, 
but I go right back to that very moment. As soon as I smell it, I go right back to that moment, doing a dance, singing a song, giving an altar call for kids to come to Christ. You know, the gospel for me has always been about people. I think that kingdom builders, I think that missions giving, I think that uh, serving in ministry at a church, everything that the gospel is about is about people. How many of you know it's the whole world that, Jesus, that God loves so much that he sent Jesus to come? My first trip to El Salvador, I met a little girl named Wendy. And I have a very grainy picture of Wendy for you here. This is Wendy and me uh, when I was skinnier and had a goatee. And I hadn't shaved in a while. Uh, this is Wendy, and I kind of think of it this way. I don't have any right to think of it this way, but Wendy was kind of my first kid. And I went, I went to El Salvador in 2002 and uh, somehow found this little girl who just fell in love with Amy and I. And if I had had enough money, I'd have brought her home. She was an orphan. She lived with her grandmother. She, li- or she took us to her house one time, and she was so proud of her house. She, had, she lived in a, a tin shanty with a dirt floor, uh, had a little mat to lay on, and she was so proud of her home and so content with what she had. Sweetest little girl. She looked like a a four-year-old. She was nine years old in this picture. I went back in 2003, two years in a row, and the first person who came to me to find us was Wendy. And Wendy today is, you know, probably pushing 30 I don't know what happened to her. I've reached out a couple of times to ask. But when God introduces you to people like that, it changes your life. In fact, I say it this way. I, I think about it this way. If, I had, if Amy and I had never loved Wendy, could we have loved our kids that we brought home from Poland in the same way? See, God forges our life when we give attention and energy to his kingdom and to his mission. When we recognize that it's about the people. It's not about the trip. It's not about the adventure. It's not about all those moments. It's certainly not about the food in El Salvador and its effects. (laughs) Which are many. It's about people. It's why we pay tithe and offering. It's why we give to kingdom builders. It's why we serve in kids' ministry. It's why we do the things outside of the walls of our church. It's why we do everything we do. It's not so that we can be important or so that we can feel good about ourselves or pat ourselves on the back. We do it because the gospel is about people. It's why we shouldn't be annoyed when people who don't look like us or act like us or smell like us or think like us walk into the doors of our church or even the doors of our home. Or dare I say, when we go to their turf. Why? Because the gospel is really about people. It's not about anything else. In fact, the gospel is about you. The Bible says in Romans 5 that when we were helpless, when we were sinners, before we'd ever cleaned up our lives and got the right clothes and the right songs to sing and the right cologne, before we'd ever done all the Christian things, he sent Jesus to die for us when we were a mess. Because it's about people. Jesus' last command to his disciples on the day that he ascended to heaven is this in Matthew 28, and you know the verse. It says, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have, given, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, what? Go. go. 
Go! I want to, I just, this is where I get in trouble because it's not in my notes, but I want to point out a distinction. What most churches do is they stand at the doors of their church and they call in the harvest. Harvest! Harvest! Come in! And the harvest is not cows that respond to your voice. Right? Jesus said, lift up your eyes and look at the fields. But the fields don't harvest themselves. I know we have farmers in this church. And you're like, yep, because you spend hours bringing in, days bringing in the harvest, right? So why do churches in the kingdom of God, why do we stand at the doors of our barn, our storehouse, and call the harvest in when Jesus very clearly said to go? Go into all the world. Go to all nations. Make them disciples and baptize them. Teach them to obey all the commands that I've taught you. Go into all the world. It's a global harvest. It's a global mission. I love the missionaries we support. I love the missions trips that we host and we send. One of the things I love so much about this church is the investment in young people going overseas and seeing the kingdom of God active and working in some other nation, some other culture, some other place. I I love that. It's a global mission. And just honest with you, we do pretty great at the global mission. We give away a lot of money to missionaries. We send them all over the world. We support them. We love them. We care for them when they're here. I mean, it's just amazing what happens around this place for our global mission. We have Chi Alpha missionaries that go to our church and Chi Alpha students who go to our church that are training and being discipled so that they can go back to their world, whether it's an international place or whether it's somewhere in the United States, and get a job and serve the kingdom of God in that way. I love what we're doing on the global field. But you know what? It's also a local mission. It's not just a global mission. It's a local mission. I've been around enough now and been in enough churches to see there are some churches that love the global mission of God and that's their focus and that's what they, but they ignore all the people lost and dying right around them. And I've seen other churches who love the people who are lost and dying all around them but ignore the mission of God in other places of the world. Friends, we have to be global and we have to be local. Look what Jesus said To the disciples in Acts chapter 1, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses. Where? First in Jerusalem. That's local. They were in Jerusalem, and he's like, look, these are the people that are connected to you or geographically close. We would say greater Lafayette. And I'll remind you that of the 180,000 people who live in Tippecanoe County, More than 100,000 of them have no relationship with Jesus Christ. They've not met him. They don't know him. They've never, many have never heard his name. That's our Jerusalem. It's not just the down and outers and the destitute and those in prison and those that are homeless. It's your neighbors. It's your friends. It's the people that you go to school with, that you go to work with. It is the people who live here who are far from God. And why is it important? Because the gospel is for people. 
It's for people. It's a local mission to Jerusalem. And then Jesus said, it's also to Judea. And these are local harvest fields. These are corporate harvest fields that God maybe has called us to. I've not yet discovered the harvest fields that God has asked us to harvest. I don't think churches should harvest everybody because I don't think all churches are called to harvest everybody. That's just my personal philosophy. I think there are some very distinct and specific harvests that God has called this church to. I just don't know what they are yet. I'm praying about it. I'm looking for it. It's not just ministries we support, don't misunderstand, but there's a harvest field or two or three or 10 that God has called this church to harvest and we've got to engage it and stop calling them into the barn, but go to where they are. It's a Judean harvest. It's a Jerusalem harvest. He said, it's a Samaritan harvest. I won't get too much into that. Listen to last week and what I said about the Samaritans. It's the people you don't want to harvest. It's the people that don't jive with you, that don't think like you, that don't look like you, that don't act like you, that don't believe like you. Jesus very clearly said, guys, I don't want you to just go to Judea and Jerusalem. I want you to go to Samaria. And I want you to go to the ends of the earth. Every tribe and people and language and tongue, every culture, the gospel's for everyone. So it's a global harvest. How many of you would agree? It's a local harvest, right? How many of you would agree? It's a local harvest. So guess what? It's a global harvest. I made that up. It's a global harvest. Why is that important? I think the term is important. I totally made it up, but I think it's important because you like, it's not in the dictionary. Don't look it up because it reminds me that I want to support missionaries and I want to go to the mission field myself. I don't just want to write a check to do missions. I want to be part of the harvest. I want to do that overseas. I can't wait. I I may have an open door in Poland to go train pastors and church planters how we can have a church planting movement in Poland. Bro, I want to go to that. I'm going to go to that. I'm not even praying about it. It's not true. You know what? I want to be part of a local harvest. I want to be part of the harvest of greater Lafayette and the harvest of Indiana and the harvest of the United States. I want to see God bring in a harvest that's rotting in the fields. It's a global harvest. It's a global mission. So to do this mission, to be able to be Glocal in our efforts for the kingdom of God. What does it require? I think it requires three things from us. Everybody say three. If you didn't know it, all great sermons have three points. Because if a pastor can't say it in three points, he's not doing his job. That's not true. <laughs> Next week I'll have four points. Three, three points. Three, three things. The first one is this. Going glocal requires us to do something new. It requires us to do something new. Here's what I mean. Uh, We get stuck in our church traditions and our pet dogmas and our pet doctrines and our methodologies and our ways of worship and our discipleship processes and the way that we do church and frankly, our routine. Anybody understand what I'm saying? 
And we can get stuck into those things that we find it hard to get out of those ideas, so, so much so that we restrict the gospel from being preached and going into certain harvest fields because we can't wrap our head around our tradition. Jesus told the Pharisees, you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. In other words, you choose your tradition, your way of worship, your processes and plans. You choose those things over the revelation of the word of God. May that not be us. May we have no sacred cows. May we not worry about certain ways of doing things. In church history, over and over and over again, there were conflicts based on ways of worship or ways of interpreting creation or ways of thinking about eschatology. Can I just tell you, nobody knows. Here's what you need to know about eschatology. Jesus is going to come back. It's going to be real bad before he does. So you better have your house in order now so that you're ready to run the race when it gets hard. I mean, frankly, we couldn't even handle a pandemic. How are we going to handle persecution if we don't buck up ourselves? That's a whole different sermon. We'll get to that another day. I've been reading a book called Church History in Plain Language. It's like 900 pages but it's fascinating about how the church came to be, starting with the apostles and uh, sort of the day of Pentecost and then going forward from there. And so I just, I just read, I'm up to like 1750, and I just read about how denominations came to be, how these differences in our uh, denomination. Do you know that denominations agree theologically 95 plus percent of the time? What do we disagree about? Traditions? Methods of worship? Who can preach? Who can't preach? You know the only difference between us and the church of God, the Pentecostal church of God, is that we ordain women to the gospel ministry and they do not? That's the only difference. There's no difference. In most denominations, there is very little difference. Do you realize before they finally said, okay, it's okay if somebody doesn't think the way I think, that before that, do you realize that they killed each other over these differences? They fought wars over these differences? They murdered one another over the, I mean, you think that's just totally messed up and probably not what God had in mind in Acts chapter one. Now, surely God saw it coming, but he didn't have it in mind. And so look, if we're going to go global, we're going to have to do something new. And I, one of the things I love about Jesus is he really messed people up, right? He got up one day to all the Jews around him and he said, hey, I just want you to know in the kingdom of God, there's no Jew or Greek. So if you're a Jew, that doesn't really matter. If you're a Greek, that doesn't really matter. In the kingdom of God, we're all the same. You have apples, you have oranges. In the end, you're all fruit. Come on, that was funny. That's, that's from my big fat Greek wedding. Okay, I don't know where that came from. He said there's no Jew, no Greek. He said there's no, there's no slave or free. Like you're not a slave in the kingdom, you're not free. It's, we're all just the same. And he said, there's no male or female. There's no hierarchy of who's more important than, other, than the other. And here's what I, here, let me interpret it a little bit better for you. There's no socioeconomic difference. God doesn't care if you're rich or poor. He doesn't care if you're black or white, yellow, pink, or green. In the kingdom of God, he sees all of us as his kids. And that's just how it is. Now, I say that only to say this. When Jesus 
taught that to the Jews, their head spun. We live in America, right? We're fairly progressive in those, those things versus the rest of the world. But in the Bible, that was not a thing. Like there was a hierarchy and you definitely did not cross those lines, but Jesus did. I love the story of Peter uh, uh, at the house of Cornelius when the Lord changed his whole life and said to him, you're going to go to the Gentiles. The gospel salvation had never been available to the Gentiles. If they wanted to be saved, they had to become a Jew. Everything had to be different. They had to follow the customs. They had to do the laws. Now the Lord is saying, hey, I've called the Gentiles, Peter, and don't call something unclean that I've made clean. You know the story. God sent him to the Gentiles, the calling of the Apostle Paul, who also went to the Gentiles, including the Roman emperor. I mean, I'm just saying all this to say, well, God is not afraid to mess up your theology. He's not afraid to mess with your ways of thinking. And if you're going to go into the world and you're going to reach people with the gospel, you're going to have to lay down all the things that you have built your life on. And you're going to have to let God do something new in you. Mark Batterson says it this way, if you want something different from God or something new from God, you're going to have to do something different. You're going to have to change how you see it. It's what God was asking Peter to do at Cornelius' house. It's what God is asking us to do if we're going to go global. We might have to change some, way, some things that we spend money on in our church. We might have to change the ways that we process day to day and week to week. We might have to be more intentional about going to the harvest fields. There might be some things that need to shift that will make you uncomfortable. And sometimes it makes a preacher uncomfortable. Here's what I promise you will not shift. We will never compromise the moving of the Holy Spirit. I will never, ever not give room for the Holy Spirit to move and act and change us because he can preach better than I can. We'll never change our focus on the mission of God around the world and here at home. But outside of those things, must we hold the sacredness? Does that make sense? Do we have to hold things sacred? No, because some of the things that God wants to change in us, and by the way, I don't have anything in my head about that. I'm just telling you, as, as God leads us and as he moves us, we have to be willing to just shed those things that cause us to, to limit the, the reach of the gospel, globally or locally. So you gotta be willing to change. You gotta be willing to embrace something new. Number two, going global requires, by say requires I'm like give and take today. <laughs> it requires, it requires new margins. If you're going to go global, glo global, it requires new margins. You have to be willing to build in white space in your life. See, the reality is that most of us are scheduled beyond the number of hours a day holds. We are financially pushed to the brink of collapse. We are, and, and gas is not helping us right now. Our energies and emotions are threadbare. We, we live, many people live on the fringe of meaningful living and going insane. Anybody feel that tension point in your life now and then? But if we're going to be able to respond to the call of God and the work of the kingdom, we're going to have to embrace new margins. I really think that we often get so consumed with our own lives, with chasing our dreams, with living our best life now, that we have sometimes sacrificed the kingdom of God on the altar of the American dream. 
And I just, I want to have a kingdom dream. I want to, you know, God, when you stand before God, he's not going to say, so, did you achieve the American dream? That's what I had for you. I, I promise you, he'll say that to no one. He will say, what would you do with my kingdom? What would you do with what I put in your hand? Did you use it for my glory? That's what he's going to ask us. So I have a quote for you by Sir Francis Drake, who I think was a pirate. Disturb us, Lord, when we are too well pleased with ourselves, when our dreams have come true because we have dreamed too little, when we arrive safely because we have sailed too close to shore. Disturb us, Lord, when with the abundance of things we possess, we have lost our thirst for the waters of life. Having fallen in love with this life, we have ceased to dream of eternity. And in our efforts to build a new earth, we have allowed our vision of the new heaven to dim. Disturb us, Lord, to dare more boldly, to venture on wider seas where storms will show your mastery, where losing sight of land we shall find the stars. We ask you to push back the horizons of our hopes and to push into the future in strength, courage, hope, and love. Which one sounds better to you? We need to choose new margins in our time. Where we spend our time. I'm not going to ask you to lift your hand, but how many of you are too busy? There's too many things on your plate. You have too many things to go to, too many meetings to attend, too many places to go so that if God ever interrupted your day with a harvest field moment, you don't have time. I don't have time. We need to choose new margins in our money. Many people are unable to give and to tithe and to serve with their money. They're unable to do that because they are financed to the very ends of their income. I just want you to know that God had more to say about money in our lives than he did about heaven. He cares about the margins in our money, in our finances. We need to choose new margins in our gifts and abilities and our talents and what we are able to serve and able to give. We use our talents and our gifts in our schools. We use them in our workplaces. But often people don't have time and energy and the willpower to give them in the kingdom of God. As I wrote that last night, I thought of this song, Spirit, lead me where my trust is without borders. Let me walk upon the waters wherever you would call me. We sing songs like that, and I think we mean them. But what we fail to do is organize our life so that we can actually walk upon the waters. But I think God is a water-walking God. Don't you? I think God is a miracle-working God. I think God is a God that comes through in crazy situations. But if we don't build our life, if we don't build our life, if we don't organize our life in such a way to be able to respond to him, then we'll never live where trust is without borders. We'll never step out of the boat and walk upon the waters. Going Glocal 
requires new margins. Lastly, going local requires more of him and less of you. It's what I've learned in my life serving God. It is easy for me to come to an altar and lift my hands and cry out, God, I want more of you. Have you ever prayed that prayer? God, I just want more of you. I'm just so hungry for the things of God. But here's his response when that prayer is prayed. Okay, it's got to be less of you then. You know why? Because you've only got so much to go around. We're not infinite, right? Anybody in here infinite? If you think you're infinite, we need to talk. Because you're not. So if you want more space for God to fill, then you've got to take something of you out of the space. I think it's one of the reasons that that prayer sometimes goes unanswered. It's not a feeling or an emotion. It's a way of being and a way of living and a character thing in our lives. God, I want more of you, but in order to get more of you, I've got to surrender more of me. It's what John the Baptist prayed at the end of his ministry. In John chapter 3, verse 30, he said to his disciples who were, who were mad that John wasn't mad that Jesus had ministry. Just to set that up for you, they're mad. Master, everybody's going to him to be baptized. Nobody's coming to you. And John's response wasn't, let's go get him. Let's go have a talk. He's the new guy on the scene. He doesn't know how this works. Let's go talk to him. His answer was, guys, he must increase and I must decrease. He must increase and I must decrease. Friend, if you want to do something for God, if you want to go global in your life and in your mission, you've got to decrease so that he can increase. There's got to be less of you and less of me going on. Here's what I mean. <laughs> I'm going to say this with love. This, the world does not revolve around you. Like, I know it's, it's hard. And you don't actually know everything. Neither do I. Paul said this in Romans 12. Because of this privilege and authority God's given, I give each of you this warning. It's a warning. Don't think you are better than you really are. Right? Like, isn't that the point? Because so, so often we think that we can do a better job with our life than God can do with our life. We think that we've got a better plan. I mean, that's me. I always say to the Lord, Lord, if I was you, this is how I'd do it. And he says, well, you're not me, so. <laughs> because at the end of the day, you know, I, I think I can do this and this and that and do it better. Maybe then God can do it. Why? Because I can't see God. I, don't, I can't see him. I just, it's just trust, right? It's just faith. It's just blind faith. Let me just take my hands off it and step aside. No, no, no. I want to get my hands in there and make something happen. God is saying, look, you're not smart enough to make some of these things happen. How many of you have had God do something in your life that was so far beyond anything you could have imagined that if you had put your hands to it, you'd have messed it up? Because that's what he is. And so he says, look, would you, and the older you get in life and the further you go with God, the more he needs you to decrease so that he can increase. Because the things God asks you to do when you're early in your faith are small and trivial. He doesn't ask you the big stuff until you're more mature. 
But when you get mature, he asks for the big stuff. I'm just warning you, if you don't want God to ask you for the big stuff, don't get mature. Because he'll ask you for the things that hurt. And in order to give him the things that hurt, more of me has to die. And more of him has to live. And that's all that he's saying. God longs for an interdependent, spirit-empowered, missional-driven church that isn't stuck on itself and its accomplishments and its success, but it's stuck on Jesus. In fact, I'd like one of our mantras around here to be this. Not, you won't believe how amazing this was, or you won't believe how great this is. Our church is awesome. Our church is amazing. And it is. I, I just don't want that to be our mantra. You know what I want our mantra to be? I just can't get over what Jesus has done. I just can't get over. Like, I hope our mega sports camp is unbelievable. But I don't want to go out of there saying, man, we got some great coaches and Man, we did a great job. Look how we loved our neighbors and all this stuff. That's good. I'm not saying it's good. I want us to get out and say, man, I can't believe what Jesus did with those five nights. Look what Jesus has done. He should be famous. So some of you, we got to, and me, we got to get over ourselves and thinking that we have all the answers. But some of you, listen carefully, some of you need to get over yourself and how you view yourself and how you see yourself and how you understand yourself in view of God. See, some of you think, even though you're saved, that you are useless in the kingdom of God. You have no power. I, I love the song we sang. It goes so well with that this morning. That he's not mad at you. He's not frustrated with you. Oh, you might have a past. Who doesn't have a past? You might have some scars. You might have some memories. But friend, that's not who you are. God doesn't see you for what you were before you met him. He sees you for who he's making you to be. Some people are paralyzed by our past and sometimes by our present. We think that there's no room, there's nothing we can do in our present to go global, but going global requires a fresh and godly view of yourself. And he will help you. I like what Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians. And if anybody knew about being different than their past, it was Paul. He said, so we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At, at this time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view, how differently we know him now. And that means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new creation. Let me just remind you that the old life is gone and the new life has come. Jesus has done the work. Worship team, if you want to come. Here's the bottom line about going global. God uses what you have to fill a need which you never could have filled yourself. God uses where you are to take you where you never could have gone. He uses what you can do to accomplish what you never could have done. And he uses who you are in all your scars and all your stuff. He uses who you are 
to let you become who you never could have been. See, God is a transformational God. And his goal is not for you and I just to live a good life and get through this thing. His goal until Jesus comes back is to work in the harvest fields of this planet. Here and around the world. I know I don't have to think about it. I don't have to pray about it. I know God wants you and me to go global to be harvesters locally, and to send or go ourselves to other places of the world. So let me ask you a question. For you to go global, what needs to change? What new thing needs to happen in your life? Do you need to embrace something that's new and let go of something that's old, old habits and old ways of life and ways of thinking? Do you need to create to choose new margins in your life and adjust your life in such a way so that you can be available for God? Or maybe you simply need to decrease so that he can increase. I don't know what you need from God or what you need to accomplish. Here's, what, here's the thing I think. It's not purely an act of God's sovereignty does that make sense? If you need new margins in your life, God doesn't go, woo, there's new margins. If you need to decrease, God doesn't go, woo, now you're less. That should be a meme. He wants to say to you, cooperate with me. Yield to me but you're gonna to have to make some decisions. You're gonna to have to choose something different. Some of you need to lift your spiritual life with God. Well, guess what? You've gotta stop coming to church and just being a bump on a cucumber. I, I don't know you, I can say that because I don't know you well enough yet. So like, you can be sure I'm not thinking of anybody individually. But if you're just, if church for you is just if serving the kingdom is just going through the motions and showing up and worshiping a little bit and checking your card and going home, you're going to get from God everything that you've already gotten from him. There's nothing new waiting for you. Why? Because to get something new, you've got to do something different. If you need to rearrange your daily and weekly schedule so that you can have room in it for God to do divine appointments and open up doors for you. Guess what? God's not gonna take your day planner or your calendar and your phone and delete events and change things around. You're gonna have to decide that. Does it make sense what I'm trying to say? This is not a supernatural divine thing that happens. It is a choice that we make to be more missional in our living and to do the things for the kingdom that we wanna do in our heart. I believe most of us wanna do them in our heart. I really do. I just think we, we struggle because we schedule ourselves to the extreme or all of our money's occupied, whatever. We can't respond. So look, my challenge to you, whatever it is, because here's what I learned too about me. I don't have to pray about what I need to change in my life. You already know, right? You already know what God needs to shift, what you need to work, what you need to change around. You already know. You don't have to pray about it. You just have to say, God, I'm ready. 
I'm ready to work on that. Would you help me? And the promise is that he'll come right beside you and he'll walk with you and he'll strengthen you and he'll encourage you and he'll solve problems that you didn't know how to solve and he'll show you the way to accomplish for the kingdom of God the things that are in your heart. He will. You just have to say yes. So my prayer for you and for me is that we'll just say yes. Let's say yes. What kind of church would we be if everybody said yes? So Jesus, Holy Spirit, I know you are speaking clearly. Lord, you're reminding us of those things that we need to choose to change. Or you're reminding us, God, of the marginal areas of our life that we need to make a move. Or you're showing us the places of our life where we need to decrease so that you can increase. Whatever it is, my prayer is simply this, Lord, that you'd give each one the courage to say yes. Ignoring those things that are behind and pressing on towards those things that lie ahead. Would you give us courage in Jesus' name? Amen. In just a moment, if our ushers will get ready, we're going to receive an offering as well as commitment cards. And my prayer is simply this, that you'll join Amy and I and you will make any kind of commitment to helping us advance the kingdom of God here and around the world. Six months, I think we've explained it pretty well. Fill out the card, drop it in the offering, drop it in the bucket. We're gonna pass the buckets, we haven't done that. I understand we haven't done that in a long time, but we're gonna pass the buckets today. So if that weirds you out, just do this and they'll just move it on. Or just like, whatever you wanna do. But also in this bucket, we're receiving a love offering. So I brought my first Kingdom Builders contribution today to put into this, uh, this offering in this moment. We believe that God has a plan for us and I'm not worried at all because I know that God will provide. He's a great, he is the great provider. Here's what I know, you can't outgive him. If you're, if you're scared to make a commitment, I get it, but I promise you, you can't outgive God. And I think this, as you're faithful to the Lord and as you step in faith, you're gonna see miracles in your life. God's gonna do something crazy in your life that you've been praying for for a long time because you stepped in faith for him. So Jesus, bless what we give right now. Lord, this moment where we give out of the abundance of what you've given back to us. But we're not bringing a token today, we're bringing a sacrificial gift, what we've determined in our heart. And we're making a commitment, God, to give these next six months to a global mission of this church to advance your kingdom here and around the world. So bless it, God. And Lord, I pray that you would honor the promises of your word and pour out blessing on those that give, God, with cheerful hearts that they can never contain for your kingdom and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Guys, if you'll come, when we give, we're gonna worship and then we'll be dismissed.